Chapter thirty eight of Agincourt, a romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Flight A month had passed, and Richard of Woodville sat alone in his solitary chamber on a dark and stormy night, towards the end of September, reading by the glimmering lamplight a book which had been procured for him in the town by his page. The rain blew, the wind whistled, the small panes of glass in the casement rattled and shook, and the howling of the breeze as it swept round the old tower seemed full of melancholy thoughts. His own imaginations were heavy and desponding enough, and he eagerly strove to withdraw his attention, both from the voice of the storm without and from the dark images that rose up in his heart. But he could not govern his mind as he desired, and still from the pages of the book he would lift his eyes, and gazing into vacancy, revolve every point in his fate, gaining, alas, nothing but fresh matter for sad reflection. He had seen no more of the Count of Vaudemont, the Duke of Orléans, or the Count of Armagnac, and had learned that they had quitted Montlhéry early on the day following that during which he had received their visit. He little heeded their departure, indeed, or desired to see them, for he felt convinced that their only object had been to make a tool of him for secret purposes of their own and that, disappointed therein, they were in no degree disposed to show him favour, or even to listen to just remonstrance. What grieved and depressed him more was the unaccountable disappearance of the young clerk who had brought him the letters from Sir John Grey, but who had been no more seen by the page after the arrival of the Count de Vaudemont in the town. The boy inquired at the widow's where the clerk had lodged, and was told he had left the place, and no farther trace could be discovered of the course he had pursued, or whither he had turned his steps. The distracted state of the country, indeed, the young knight thought, might have scared the novice away, for the page brought him daily reports of strange events taking place around, of factions, strife, and bloodshed in almost every province of France, and of rumours that daily grew in strength and consistency, of foreign wars being speedily added to the miseries of the land. Large bodies of armed men passed through the town at different times. The garrison of the castle was diminished to swell the forces preparing for some unexplained enterprise, and the Châtelain himself was called to lead them to the field. But a stricter guard was kept upon the prisoner than ever. Of the scanty band that remained in the castle, one always remained in arms at his door, and another was stationed at the foot of the stairs. Night and day he was closely watched, and the page himself was not permitted to go in and out except at certain hours. All chance of escape seemed removed, and bitterly did Richard of Woodville ponder upon the prospect of long captivity, at the very time when, under other circumstances, opportunity must have occurred for the exertion of all those energies by which he had fondly hoped to win glory, station, and renown. He struggled hard against such thoughts and all the bitterness they brought with them, and after indulging them for a few minutes turned ever to the page of the book he was reading, and laboured through the crabbed lines of the ill-written manuscript, finding perhaps as much interest in making out the words as in their sense. It was after one of the fits of meditation we have spoken of that he thus again applied himself to read, and turned over several pages carelessly to see what would come next in the dull old roman when suddenly he saw a fresher page than any of the others, and found upon it, written in English, and in a different hand from the rest, 
but in lines of equal length so as to deceive a careless eye, and lead to a belief that the words were but a continuation of the poem, the following warning and intelligence. Be prepared. Lie not down to rest. Take not off your clothes. King Henry is in France. The Earl of Cambridge, the Lord Scrope, and Sir Thomas Grey have been executed for treason. Harfleur has been taken, and the king is marching on through the land. There ended the lines, and the young knight, closing the book, started up and clasped his hands with agitation and surprise. Harfleur taken, and I not there, he cried. This is bitter indeed. I shall go mad if they do not free me soon. Sir Thomas Grey, surely it cannot be written by mistake. I remember one Sir Thomas Grey, a powerful knight in Northumberland. The Lord Scrope, too. Why, he was the King's Chamberlain. What can all this mean? Prepared. I will be prepared, indeed. Hark, they are changing the guard at the door. I must not let them see me thus agitated if they look in. And seating himself again, he opened the book and seemed to read. No one came near, however, for another hour, and Richard of Woodville gathered together all that might be needful in case his escape should be more near than he ventured to hope. The little stock of money that remained, a few jewels and trinkets of gold and silver, and a dagger which he had kept concealed since his capture, for the rest of his arms and his armour had been taken from him as fair spoil. After this was done, he sat and watched, but all was silent in the chateau, except when the guard at his door rose and paced up and down the passage, or hummed a verse or two of some idle song to while away the hours. At length, however, after a long dead pause, he heard a whisper, and then the bolt of the door was undrawn without, and rising quietly he gazed towards it as it opened. The only figure that presented itself was that of the guard, whom he had often seen before, and noticed as apparently a gay, good-humoured man, who treated him civilly and asked after health in a kindly tone whenever he had occasion to visit him. The man's face was now grave, and Woodville thought a little anxious, and besides his own arms he bore in his hand a sheathed sword with its baldric, and a large coil of rope upon his arm. Without uttering a word he crossed the chamber, came close up to the young knight, and put the sword in his hands. Then advancing to the window, he opened it, fastened one end of the rope tight to the iron bar which ran up the centre of the casement, and suffered the other to drop gently down on the outside. Richard of Woodville gazed with some interest at this proceeding, as may be supposed. In the state of his mind at that moment, no means of escape could seem too desperate for him to adopt, and although he doubted that the rope, though strong, would bear his weight, he resolved to make the attempt, notwithstanding the tremendous height of the window from the ground. Approaching the man, he whispered, "'Would it not be better for you to turn the rope round the bar and let me down?' My hands have been so long in prison that I doubt they're holding their grasp very tightly. The man merely waved his finger and shook his head without reply, finished what he was about, and taking from the table one of the gloves which the young knight had worn under his gauntlets, much to the spectator's surprise, dropped it out of the window. "'Now come with me,' he whispered. "'It is needful for us who stay behind to have it thought for a day or two that you have made your escape without help.' The demoiselle has paid us half the money, as she promised, and we will keep our word with her. There shall be no danger attend you. We have better means of getting you out than breaking your neck by a fall from the casement. But you were to give me a word, said Richard of Woodville. 
"'Aye,' answered the man. "'I recollect. It was Mary Markham. Follow me.' Without hesitation the prisoner accompanied him, but paused for an instant in some surprise on finding two armed men at the back of the door, one holding a lamp in his hand. The guard who was with him, however, took no notice, but receiving the lamp from the other, led the way in a different direction from the staircase up which Woodville had been brought, when first he was conducted to his chamber of captivity. Then, opening a door on the right, he entered a room, in the wall of which appeared a low archway, exposing to the eye, as the light flashed forward, the top of a steep, small staircase. "'I will go down first with the lamp,' whispered the man, "'that you may see where you are going. "'Give a heed to your footing, too, for it is mighty slippery, "'especially on such a damp night as this.' Thus saying, he led the way, and Richard of Woodville followed down the winding steps, cut apparently in the thickness of the wall. Green mould and clammy slime hung upon all the stones as they descended, except where, here and there, a loophole admitted the free air of heaven and chased the damp away. The steps seemed interminable, one after another, one after another, till Woodville became sure that they were descending to a greater depth than the mere base of the castle. And looking round, as the lamplight gleamed upon the walls, he beheld no more the hewn stonework which had appeared above, but the rough excavation of the solid rock. At length the steps ceased, as passing along a vault of masonry, perhaps forty or fifty feet long, the man unbolted and unbarred a small but solid door covered with iron plates, and in a moment the lamp was extinguished by the blast from without. All seemed dark and impenetrable to the eye. The wind roared through the vault, the rain dashed in the faces of Woodville and his companion, but giving the lamp an oath, as if it had been to blame for what the storm had done, the man set it down behind the door, and then walked on, saying, "'Keep close to me, for it is steep here.' Following down a little path as the man led, the young knight's eyes became more accustomed to the gloom, and he thought he descried at a short distance a group of men and horses standing under a light feathery tree. Hurrying on with eager hope, he demanded of his guide who the persons were whom he saw before him. "'Your saucy page is one,' said the guard, "'but who the others are I do not know. "'The young clerk, I suppose, is one, and his servant the other,' for I dare say the demoiselle would not come out on such a night as this, and, faith, I cannot well see whether they be men or women in this light. And he shaded his eyes with his hands, with very needless precaution, where scarcely a ray pierced the welkin. At that moment, however, one of the figures moved towards him, asking, "'Is it all right?' "'All, all,' answered the guard. "'Have you brought the rest of the money, Master Clerk?' Here stands the prisoner, free, so my part of the bargain is done. And there is the rest of the gold, good fellow, replied the other speaker, all right money and well counted. Ay, I must take it on your word, said the man who had brought Woodville thither. My lamp has been blown out, but I may well trust you, for the other half was full tail and a piece over. That was for Chaffage, replied the youth, and if this noble knight gets safe to the king's camp, you shall have a hundred pieces more, so go, and keep his escape and the way he has taken as secret as possible. That I will, for mine own sake, answered the soldier, or I should soon know gibbet and cord. Good night, good night, and waving his hand he turned away, while the young clerk addressed Woodville, saying, You must put yourself under my guidance, noble sir, for a few hours, 
and then we shall be safe. I have much to thank you for, young gentleman, answered Woodville, following as the other hurried on to the horses, and in a few minutes the knight, his page, the clerk, and the clerk's servant were on their way. But to Woodville's surprise, instead of taking any of the by-roads that led on through the country to remote villages and hamlets, they followed the direct high-road towards Paris, which he had gazed upon for many a day from his solitary chamber in the tower. After proceeding some way in silence, without hearing any sounds which could lead them to believe that the knight's escape had been discovered, and that they were pursued, Woodville endeavoured to gain some information from the clerk of Sir John Grey as to the means which had been taken to effect his liberation, and, more particularly, as to the lady who had been mentioned by the guard. On the latter point the youth replied not, and on the former he merely said, "'The means were very simple, noble knight, and you yourself saw some of them employed. Money, which unlocks all doors, was the key of your prison. The man who refuses ransom to a captive had better see that he guard him, sure.' for that which is a small sum to him may be a great one to a jailer, and one quarter of the amount offered for your redemption served to set you free. But I think, sir, he added, we had better speak as little as possible upon any head till we have passed the capital, for the tongue of an escaped prisoner, like the track of gore to the bloodhound, often brings him within the fangs of his pursuers. Richard of Woodville judged the caution too wise not to be followed, and on they rode in silence at a brisk pace, with the wind blowing and the rain dashing against them, through the darkness of the night for somewhat more than two hours, following the broad and open road all the way, till the young knight thought they must be approaching Paris. More than once, indeed, he fancied that he caught a glimpse of some dark, large mass before him, and imagination shaped towers and pinnacles in the black obscurity of night. But at length the clerk's man, who seemed to act as guide, pronounced the words, to the left, and striking into a narrower, though still well-beaten path, he soon came upon a river, flowing on, dull and heavy, but with a glistening light, in the midst of its dark banks, which they followed for some way, till a bridge presented itself, which they crossed, and then, turning a little to the right again, continued their course without drawing a rein, till the faint grey streaks of morning began to appear in the east. Shortly after, a bell was heard ringing slowly, apparently at no great distance, and the young clerk said aloud, with a sigh of relief, "'Thank God!' "'You are fatigued, young gentleman, with this long stormy ride, I fear,' said Richard of Woodville. "'A little,' was the only reply, and in a few minutes they stopped at the gate of a small walled building, bearing the aspect of some inferior priory of a religious house. The bell was still ringing when they approached, but the door was closed.' and the clerk and his attendant dismounted and knocked for admission. A board was almost immediately withdrawn from behind a grating of iron, about a palm in breadth and twice as much in length, and a voice demanded, "'Who are you?' "'Bourgogne,' replied the clerk, and instantly the door was opened without further inquiry. The arrival of the party seemed to have been expected, for two men, not dressed in monastic habits, took the horses without further inquiry. A monk addressed himself to Woodville and bade him follow, and before he could ask any questions, he and his companions were led in different directions, the one to one part of the building, and the others to another. With the same celerity and taciturnity, his guide introduced him to a small but comfortable chamber, provided him with all that he could require, and bidding him strip off his wet clothes and lie down to rest in peace, returned with a cup of warm spiced wine, 
to chase the damp out of his marrow, as he termed it. The young knight drained it willingly, and then would fain have asked the old man some questions, but the only information he could gain imported that he was at Triel, the old man always replying, "'To bed, to bed, and sleep. You can talk when you have had rest.' Woodville, finding he could obtain no other answer, followed his counsel, and wearied with such a journey after a long period of inactivity, but with a heart lightened by the feeling that he was free, he had hardly laid his limbs on the pallet before he was asleep. End of chapter 38